Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks so much for tuning in today. What do you think of the story so far? I mean, HK is in quite the unenviable position, don't you think? In any case, if you enjoy the content here, please consider a small contribution to further support the podcast. And without further delay, I give you HK Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine, Chapter 6. After Wanda and I stopped seeing each other, I began to read and play with Catherine a lot more. She would set up her toy table with dolls, toy dishes, and plastic cookies, and we would sit and talk to the dolls. She'd make them tell us all about what they learned in school that day, and she would tell them about her day. I really enjoyed her imagination. I would never thought I would feel this way or sit and play house. When you're in a position like I was, you really don't know what you'll end up doing. When we weren't playing house with her dolls, Catherine wanted to read. I would let her choose the book she wanted me to read to her. I would start reading and she would climb onto my lap, lay her head on my shoulder and ask questions. I was amazed by the questions she asked. Sometimes it seemed like she was older than three. Catherine would ask things about the stories like, Did the cat in the hat have a mother? Why did the Grinch steal Christmas? Why are the eggs and ham green? Daddy, our eggs are white. Can we get some green eggs? Sometimes her questions made me laugh, but other times they made me cry. I started to realize just how important reading to her every day was. One night when Catherine was about three and a half years old, she started to snatch the book from my hand saying, read, Daddy, read. I replied, I am reading. She said, no, read. I didn't understand what she wanted at first, but I finally figured it out. She wanted to read to me. Okay, I said, read. She sat on the floor and started to read the story. When she started, I thought she was just repeating what I had read to her. Then I realized she really was reading. I was speechless. I couldn't believe it. I had heard about children being able to read at her age, but I'd never guessed she would be one of those children. Then I remembered that by the time she was 18 months old, she already knew the entire alphabet and her numbers from zero to nine. I guess Chanel was right about the impact that 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 would have on her. Catherine had learned to read before she was four years old. It was an amazing feeling thinking that I just might be doing something right. When I saw her sitting there reading that book, I felt like I really didn't need to doubt myself anymore. After Catherine turned five, I decided she needed to attend school. She'd outgrown a mother's house, and she was far more advanced than most of the children there, so I began looking for a new school. Someone suggested the King's Academy. The King's Academy was a a private Christian school that was very popular. Most people knew about it, but couldn't get their child in due to the high number of applicants and and the limited number of seats. I still wanted to try to get her in if it was a good fit for her. I took Catherine to meet with the director, Mrs. Jacobs. As I expected, she told me they didn't have room for more students. However, because I was referred by a mutual friend of ours, she made an exception and told me she would make room for Catherine. 
As we were talking, Catherine started to walk around the classroom and introduce herself to the other children. The director loved her friendly attitude and, and her pleasant tone. As we watched her mingle with the other children, I knew this, the school was going to provide a, a great learning experience for Catherine. She fit in right away. The following Monday morning after our meeting with the director, I dropped Catherine off at the King's Academy around 6 a.m. I had a cup of coffee with Mrs. Jacobs and a member of her staff. I wanted to get to know the director and see how things operated at the school that early in the morning. Most of the private schools I knew of just put children in front of a TV with someone watching them. It was different at the King's Academy. In the mornings, the children were given two options. They could either take a nap or they could play educational games with the other students and the teacher who played with them. I liked the whole process and how they handled children. It made me more comfortable sending Catherine there. Now I knew why everyone wanted to send their children to this academy and why it cost so much. A couple weeks after Catherine started school, I was fired from my job again. They never told me why. At the time, we were living in a right-to-work state, so they didn't have to give me an explanation. I was a little upset, but there was nothing I could do about it. It seemed like every time things were starting to go well for us, something went wrong. I started wondering if my in-laws were praying for me to fail or if someone else wanted me to fail. I didn't understand why things were going the way they were. In less than four years, I'd lost my wife, two jobs, and if something didn't change soon, I feared we were going to lose our house. I wondered what I had done to deserve all those things happening to me at once. I thought about the book of Job in the Bible. In the first chapter, Job lost his entire family and everything he owned, and later he suffered physically. Near the end of the story, though, in Job 42, God blessed Job with a double blessing. That inspired me to start looking and hoping for my double blessing. I decided I was going to need to sell the house. I picked Catherine up from school one day, and I went by a real estate agent's office. We were too short on money to realistically keep up with those house payments. I was even having more difficulty. I was even having more difficulty sleeping. It was getting hard just to be in the house, so I knew it was time to sell. I'd known for some time that I wanted to move. Knowing it was the right thing for us didn't mean it wasn't scary at times. The, the house was on the market for about a week before I got two offers. It was a time when the housing market was on fire and most houses were selling in 30 days or less. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought it would sell fast, but I wasn't expecting it to sell that fast. Everything happened so quickly I didn't have time to find a rental, but our real estate agent took care of that as well. He found us a, a three-bedroom townhouse in a very nice neighborhood close to Catherine's school, and the price was just right for our budget. We had to move soon, so I started packing. As I did, I started to think about what I was going to do about income. I, I still hadn't found another job. Then all of a sudden it hit me. I should start my own home building company. I had thought about it in the past, but I was never sure. This seemed like the perfect time to do it. The housing market was hot. I knew construction and I was going to have enough money left from selling the house to get started. Also, it seemed perfect because I needed flexible hours to take care of Catherine. I grabbed my phone, called my brother Kevin and told him about my idea. He was very interested 
Kevin had upper-level management experience, and he had a talent for making business deals. With his cash and construction experience, we would make a great team. After talking on the phone, I went to his house and asked him if he would like to be partners. Kevin said he wanted to see the numbers and wanted to know what his role would be. We talked, and after explaining how I thought things would work, he agreed we should be partners. The first thing we needed to do was get the business license. Then we needed to form an LLC. We chose the name the Fitzgerald Group, Fitzgerald Homes for the business. Between my past experience as a contractor and my brother's business experience, forming the LLC was easy. We filled out the required paperwork, ticket to the state offices, and before the end of the day, we had our general contractor's license. The Fitzgerald Group was legal and ready for business. I was really excited and I couldn't wait to tell Catherine. When I got home from the state office of license and regulation, I picked her up from school and told her we were now business owners and I was working for myself. I don't know if she understood what I was saying, but she was really happy. It seemed like if I was happy, she was happy. Now that we had our license, I started attending county business meetings and banking seminars. I was told making contacts and networking with county officials and other small builders was the best way to get my foot in the door of the county small business administration. The first meeting I went to was for the state of the county address, which was given by the county executive, John Jones. Mr. Jones was all for making money available for small businesses. After he gave a speech, my real estate agent introduced me to him. He and I talked for a while, and he expressed his sorrow over Vanessa's death and wished me good luck with Catherine. Later that evening, Mr. Jones's assistant, Mrs. Joan Edwards, gave me her card and told me to call her on Monday. She said she wanted to talk to me about how to get the county contracts. I was intrigued. I hadn't expected to get an invitation like this at my first meeting with county politicians, but God was in charge. On Monday, I called Mrs. Edwards. She was really nice. We talked for quite some time. She was very understanding of me being a widowed father and told me she was proud that I was raising Catherine by myself. Mrs. Edwards said she didn't know of any other single fathers raising their daughters. She invited me to a meeting in Capitol Heights with their mayor. Mrs. Edwards explained what the meeting would be about and told me that I would be introduced to several other people. When I met, when I attended, I met Mrs. Ella. Mrs. Ella was a very nice senior citizen who seemed much younger than her actual age. She didn't use a cane or a walker and she didn't look or act her age. In fact, she drove a Lexus GS300. She had a lot of power and money. She actually seemed to have more power than the mayor of Capitol Heights. When I met her, she seemed more like a mother than a business associate. I told her about Catherine, and she immediately wanted to meet her. Like so many others, she found it hard to believe that I was raising Catherine alone. Mrs. Ella invited me to bring Catherine to her house that evening so the three of us could have dinner together. She said she wanted to discuss a project with me. I was moved by her kindness, but I didn't quite understand why she wanted us to come to her house for dinner. When Catherine and I arrived that evening, I noticed there were markings on her lawn and stakes with orange ribbons. That indicated to me she was having something built and that a survey engineer had laid out a building plan. Mrs. Ella walked out of her house with a set of home plans and a building permit in her hand and said, this is the project. I said, okay, this is Catherine. Shall we trade? We laughed and Catherine giggled. 
While she talked with Mrs. Ella, I took a look at the plans. I now understood why she wanted us to come to her house. She wanted me to be able to see the project site. She wanted to build an ADA, American Disabilities Act, compliant house for her father. After they talked for a bit, she asked me, how are you raising this little girl all by yourself? Mrs. Ella seemed to fall in love with Catherine instantly. I was taken aback by the question. I was a little insulted at first. I didn't want to let her know I felt this way. After all, if I was able to get this contract, it would be the first one for the Fitzgerald group. I didn't want to lose this opportunity. So I explained to her, I just pray and depend on God to send the right people my way, like you. It had become a regular thing in my life for someone to insinuate that I, as a man, had no business raising Catherine without a woman. It had gotten so bad that I just wanted to prove to everyone that I was more than capable of raising Catherine. I understood Mrs. Ella was old school and she believed, for the most part, it's the woman's job to raise the children. But I was happy when Mrs. Ella said, I think you're doing an excellent job. More men should do the same with their children. At the end of the evening, Mrs. Ella told me she wanted me to meet her, to meet with her the following Monday in her office. When I walked into her office that day, she asked me if she gave us her project. When could we start? I told her within two weeks. I just needed time to mobilize my crews and get estimates on certain parts of the job. She said, if we can agree on a price, then the job is yours. I hadn't expected her to just offer us the job five minutes after I walked into her office, but she did. I asked her how she'd come to a decision about who she wanted to hire so fast. She said, you were referred by the county executive secretary. And if you can raise a little girl so nice and smart by yourself, I'm more than confident you can build my house. Then she asked me if I needed any assistance with Catherine. I didn't think I did, but I would let her know if that changed. We agreed on a contract price and we signed the contract. That was the first official contract of the Fitzgerald Group. Things seemed to be looking up. After getting the contract signed and ratified with Mrs. Ella, she and I spoke with several subcontractors about what their phase of the work would be and how much it would cost. I got some really good pricing for the project, probably because the housing market was hot. After we accepted the bids, I gave Mrs. Ella our schedule and the proposed starting date. She was very happy with the prices and the schedule. Soon after the project started, things went very well. The weather was on our side and the subcontractors were doing great. I started to feel like Catherine and I were going to make it. In the evenings, I'd pick Catherine up from school and we'd stop by the job site before we went home. I wanted to show Catherine what I was building and she wanted to see. She loved the construction site. Like most children, she was very curious and wanted to know what was happening. She and Mrs. Ella always wanted to see each other. Mrs. Ella loved seeing Catherine and during the project, she became somewhat of a grandmother to her. Catherine and Mrs. Ella got to know each other so well that Mrs. Ella started to buy her clothes and other girly things. In mid-September, Catherine's sixth birthday was coming up. I was at the job site thinking about what I was going to do for her party that year when my phone rang. It was Mrs. Jacobs from Catherine's school. She asked me if I could come to the school because we needed to have a discussion about Catherine's behavior. What is she doing? I asked. Mrs. Jacobs replied, you need to come and see. Is she hurt? 
I asked. Or has she hurt someone? No, no, nothing like that, she said. But, well, can it wait a couple of hours? I asked her. Yes, she answered. We hung up, but I was worried that something was wrong. I was always hoping Catherine was okay whenever she and I weren't together. I still didn't trust my in-laws, and I I never knew what they were thinking or planning. I, I felt like they were just waiting for something to happen so they could say, I told you so. Then they would try to take her away from me again. We still didn't speak often, and whenever we did, it never went well. I started to worry too much, so I decided to leave the site and go to the school. My nerves were a wreck, and I couldn't concentrate on what, we were, on what we were doing at the site. The traffic was a mess, and it seemed like it took forever to get to the school. When I finally arrived, I couldn't find a parking space. After I finally found a parking spot, I sat in the truck and tried to calm my nerves a bit before I went in. However, that didn't do much good. I gave up, went in, and asked to speak with Mrs. Jacobs. She took a few minutes before she came out, but when she did, she was laughing, and she said, I told you not to worry that it could wait. Mrs. Jacobs, you know how I worry about Catherine, and you know some of the things she and I have been through, so any call, any call will be troubling to me. Mrs. Jacobs replied, I called you because Catherine has been going around the classroom doing everyone's work, and she's blurting out the answers to questions without raising her hand. So? I said, what's wrong with that? Go see for yourself, Mrs. Jacobs said. She took me to an observation room behind Catherine's classroom. It had a huge one-way mirror so parents could watch their children without disturbing the class. I watched Catherine for a few minutes, but I didn't see anything wrong with what she was doing. Mrs. Jacobs said, Catherine isn't giving the other students a chance to answer the questions. She's walking to the other children's desks and doing their work. Do you see that? Sure. I said, what's wrong with that? It disrupts the teacher's ability to teach the other children who may not know as much as Catherine does, Mrs. Jacob explained. In other words, she's quite a bit advanced for her age. I looked again and I noticed what she was doing. I'll talk to her, I promise. Actually, I have a better idea, Mrs. Jacobs implied. What is it? I asked. I want Catherine to sit in with the first graders and see how that works out. Catherine knows all the work in her class, and she's smarter than most children her age. She can already read and write. I hadn't even thought about Catherine being able to read and write. Was I, I, I never thought that her being able to read and write was so special. I thought all children her age could do that. Boy, was I wrong. I agreed with Mrs. Jacobs that we had to do something about Catherine, so I said she could go ahead and put her in the class with the older children. By the time we were done discussing it, it was getting late, and I knew I wasn't going to make it back to the job. I told Mrs. Jacobs I was going to take Catherine home. After we talked a few more minutes, Mrs. Jacobs promised not to scare me anymore with those kinds of phone calls. Please don't, I said. I I thought I was having a heart attack. When Catherine and I got in the truck, I talked to her about my conversation with Mrs. Jacobs and told her she had to stop helping her classmates with their work. She looked confused and asked me why. I tried to explain that they needed to learn too. She said, but if they need help, I'm supposed to help them. Yes, I said, you are, but you can't help with everything. Catherine started to cry. It was hard for me to explain to a child with a loving heart and attitude that she had to let people learn. 
I then told her she would be in another class on Monday morning. As soon as I told her that, she started to cry harder. I I really didn't know what to do. As we were driving, I looked around and I saw a billboard of someone giving someone a hug. So I asked Catherine if she wanted a hug. Through her sobs and with her nose running, she managed to say yes. I pulled over at a gas station. We got out of the truck and I gave her a hug. After I did, she stopped crying and went back to her happy-go-lucky self. It's amazing what a little hug can do. Learning how to comfort my child was when she was sad was hard. I had no idea how real emotions would how real her emotions would be. Before I had Catherine, I would watch children on TV and I think they didn't really have true feelings or emotions. When I was growing up, I thought it was a mother's I thought it was a mother's job to handle children when they were upset or hurt. Once I had Catherine and she started to grow, I realized children's feelings and pain are very real. It took me time to learn how to handle them. I, I had a lot to learn. The next Monday, Catherine started sitting with the first graders. I thought she would have trouble adjusting. However, I found out that young children under six years old adjust quickly. I called the school a few hours after I dropped her off to see how she was doing. And Mrs. Jacobs jokingly said, she's fine and don't call me anymore. I'm busy. I replied, you know, I'm a a worry warrior. She laughed and said, you have nothing to worry about. Go to work. She was right. The school had one of the best reputations in the state, and they had a certified teaching staff. I did as Mrs. Jacobs suggested, and I went to work. I turned my focus to getting Mrs. Ella's house framed and roofed so we could start with the electrical, plumbing, and heating, and air conditioning rough ends. We had put in 15 days in the schedule for for the framing. The house was small, only about 1,100 square feet. Mrs. Ella's father was about 85 years old and in a wheelchair, so the house needed to be finished on time because he had been living in an assisted living home and had to move. We had 90 days to complete it, and at that point, we were ahead of schedule and on budget. After we finished work for the day, I picked Catherine up from school and we went straight home. I was very tired and needed to cook dinner. I also needed to do some plan reviews so I could place a lumber order for delivery the next morning. While I was cooking, Catherine rolled out my plans and started to look at them. I started laughing, but she said she wanted to help. I could see how much it meant to her to help me, so I said, okay. When we get busy with work, we sometimes ignore our children. I didn't. As we went over the plans together, I was surprised by how much she understood, but Catherine has never ceased to amaze me. She and I were still sitting there looking at the drawing, and she asked, is this the bedroom? Yes, how do you know that? I said. She pointed to the shapes of the toilet and bathtub, and she said it looked like the bathtub and toilet in our bathroom. My eyes started to water, and she asked me why I was sad. I laughed and said, I'm not sad. I'm happy that you're so smart. Sometimes people cry when they're happy. It's called tears of joy. She smiled and said, do you want a hug? Yes, I said and laughed. I love you. You know, for a child almost six years old, you have a lot of understanding. 
my little girl was wise beyond beyond her years. And I realized again how important it was that I taught her the alphabet and numbers early. All those hours I'd spent teaching her by playing with her also allowed her and I to bond. And that helped us to be able to feel each other's pain and joy. I believe that one of the most important things fathers can do is get to know their children early. It's so important to spend lots of time with them, even right after they're born. Before I knew it, Catherine's birthday was approaching. I'd I'd been so busy with Mrs. Ellis' house, I hadn't started to plan her party. Her birthdays were always a big deal for me because I wanted her to be happy. But a part of me was saying, she's happy just because you're there for her. Even so... I knew I still wanted to give her a big party like I had done with the other five years. Subconsciously, I think I still wanted to prove I was doing my job and being a good father. I knew this year would be different because Catherine was at a new school and she'd made lots of new friends. She'd also reached an age where she had a better understanding of what a birthday was. Part of me hoped this would be the year my in-laws would put their differences aside And we would work together planning her party and scheduling time for them to spend with her. The other part of me knew it would take an act of God to get them to help me. And I didn't think God was ready to act. Chapter 7 As I started to plan Catherine's birthday party, I asked her what kind of party she wanted to have and what she wanted for her birthday. She she, She said she wanted a pony and a mommy. I laughed and asked her, if I get the pony, can we wait for the mommy? Catherine asked, why is it so hard to get a mommy? I've been waiting for five years. How long do I need to wait? Hearing her say that was hard for me. I didn't want to start a relationship with just anyone, but at the same time, I wanted my little girl to be happy. Raising Catherine on my own meant I didn't have a lot of time to spend with other people, and that made dating difficult in the past. Women I dated hadn't been happy with the amount of time I was able to devote to them, but there wasn't much I could do about it. Catherine was my priority. I didn't know what to do. Catherine had brought up wanting a mommy from time to time over the past few years. At one point, her constant asking for one had become like the are we there yet of car trips. I just kept trying to ignore her when she would ask for a mother. In my heart, I wasn't sure I was ready to bring someone into our lives in that kind of a a capacity. I really didn't want anybody telling her or me what to do. I didn't know if I could stand someone telling me I was raising Catherine the wrong way. I was also terrified of marrying someone and finding out they had little to no patience with children. The very last thing I wanted was to get involved with someone who might hurt my child. I was in the process of making calls to try to find a pony for Catherine's party when Mrs. Ella called. She said she wanted to talk about the kitchen cabinets that were going to be installed in her father's house. I let her know what I was doing and I asked if I could call her back after I finished trying to find a pony. Mrs. Ella said she could take care of that for me. A friend of hers was a member of the Cowboy Association and Mrs. Ella wanted to get a pony as a gift for Catherine's birthday. She told me she needed the date and the location of the party and it would be all set. She said not to worry about it. I thanked her and told her she didn't need to do that, but she insisted on knowing the date, the time and location so she could send the pony. I gave in and told her and and she said, now let's talk about my cabinets. I couldn't help but laugh, but I think God sent you to us. 
You gave me my first contract and, and you're very helpful when it comes to Catherine. And, and you've introduced us to so many other people that are moving me and my daughter forward. Thank you. Mrs. Ella said she was setting up a meeting the next week for Kevin and me to meet some other people. She told me she had some investors who were interested in the Fitzgerald group. They'd seen the progress and quality of the houses we were building for her, and they loved it. I was stunned. I told her she never ceased to amaze me and that I was looking forward to meeting them. The next Monday, Kevin and I met Mrs. Ella at her office. When we walked in, there were three people sitting at her conference table. She began introducing us to each other. They were the vice president of Washington Bank Corporation, John Hope, his assistant, Tony Addison, and their senior loan officer, Clayton Williams. We started discussing how Kevin and I wanted to move the Fitzgerald group forward. Kevin told them about the small group of subdivided lots we purchased. The lots were ready to build, and we had already had a signed ratified contract in place. Kevin explained to them we were working on securing funding for construction so we could move forward with the project. However, most banks we'd approached had very high interest rates and very unreasonable terms. Kevin explained that some of the rates were so high we, we wouldn't make any money, and the terms and the rates combined made us nervous we wouldn't be able to pay back the money. We didn't want to risk foreclosure. That was when Mrs. Ella told us why she'd asked Kevin and me to come to this meeting. She asked Mr. Hope to explain what he could do for the Fitzgerald Group. He told us he could structure a loan package for us that we would like. It would be ongoing, a revolving line of credit. He also had some other creative financing options available for us. Mrs. Ella had explained my situation to them, and Mr. Hope said they loved and respected family commitment. They were impressed that I'd taken on the challenge of raising Catherine as a single father. After the meeting, Kevin and I went to pick Catherine up from school. She adored her Uncle Kevin. He always brought her ice cream sandwiches, and he kept a box in his freezer just for her. When we got back to his house that afternoon, she ran to the freezer and helped herself. I didn't like it. I thought she had too much sugar. I was always concerned about her health. Kevin and I disagreed about it. She needs her ice cream, he told me. Lots of people come home from work and have a drink to wind down. She has an ice cream sandwich. I thought that was one of the dumbest justifications for why he should be able to give her ice cream, but it made me laugh. Kevin grilled for us that night and we ate together. Over dinner, we discussed the meeting we'd had with Washington Bank Corporation. Kevin was a little skeptical about getting a large loan that would probably have to be secured by his house. I knew he had a point, but I also knew if this worked out, we would make more money than we'd ever dreamed of. I wanted to start putting money away for Catherine's future. The saying, a man should leave an inheritance for his children and his children's children was on my mind, and I saw this loan as a way of making that happen. After we finished talking and eating, Catherine and I went home. I had to get her bathed and in bed for school the next day. It was very important to keep Catherine on a schedule. I was told early on by her doctors that I needed to create a schedule for her and follow it. Sometimes keeping her on that schedule was hard for me. When I left her with one of my siblings while I was at work, she'd stay up late and eat anything she wanted. 
I didn't have a choice but to leave her with the sitter sometimes. Owning my own business meant that sometimes there would be late meetings that would knock us off our schedule. A lot of people, family included, thought I was too strict with Catherine and her schedule. They were probably right. However, in the long run, it was me alone who would have to deal with any issues that might come from her becoming unstable or unorganized. I had so much to do. Things were getting busy with the company and Catherine had homework most nights I'd help her with after we ate and after I gave her a bath. After that night at Kevin's, we got to bed late, but I made sure we still got up on time the next morning and left the house on time. After I dropped Catherine off at school, my phone rang. It was Kevin. He said Mr. Hope had called and requested us to come to his office. Kevin said Washington Bank Corporation had a deal for us. Kevin said Mr. Hope had promised we would love what he had put together for us. Kevin told me Mr. Hope wanted to meet us at 10 o'clock in his office. It was about 8 o'clock then, so I told him I would meet him at Mr. Hope's. I had a little time on my hand, so I went back to the school and spent some time with Catherine's class. I'd wanted to watch her interact with the first graders for a while, and this gave me the perfect opportunity to do that. Catherine was a little more than a year younger than the other children, so I was curious about how she was handling things. As I watched her, I realized she was doing well. She seemed to have calmed down a bit, but I noticed she was still blurting out answers to questions her teacher asked without raising her hand. I went into the classroom and told Catherine to let her classmates have a chance to answer. Remember, you must share with everyone, and giving them a chance to answer is sharing. Catherine agreed and began to let the other children have a chance to answer. After I talked to her, I realized it was close to 10 a.m., so I left for the meeting. The bank wasn't far from the school, so it didn't take me long to get there. While I was driving, I had a whole different feeling about myself. I began to realize how important it was for a father to spend time with his kids at their school. I had really enjoyed myself when I'd spend time with her class. It, it was fun. It gave a whole new meaning to fatherhood because in general, men don't attend the PTA meetings, spend time in the classroom, or go home at night and help with the homework. These are all things that, by the way, by what the world says, a mother does. When I got to the bank, Kevin wasn't there yet, so I waited for him. Kevin is the type of person who's always what people refer to as fashionably late. After a few minutes, Kevin called and asked, Where are you? In the car, I said, waiting for you. I'm already in the building, he responded. What? You're always late, I said as I hurried into the building. It seemed like they rolled out the red carpet for us. They had a continent of breakfast waiting for us, whiteboard graphs, and lots of statistics on company failures and successes and displays for our meeting. We become true corporate executives. During the meeting, they educated us on what it took to be successful and stay successful as a small custom home builder. We were very impressed. It was clear they wanted to fund the Fitzgerald Group with the money we needed. Mr. Hope asked how Catherine was doing. I told him I'd just left the school and I'd spent a little time in her classroom. Mr. Hope said, don't ever stop putting her first. Most men can't or don't put their kids first. They're always too busy. You know, the way we heard you took care of Catherine played a major part in us wanting to be your bank. Bring her by sometimes. We, I, I'd like to meet her. After the presentation, they suggested we think about their offer and get back with them. 
We left and met back with Mrs. Ella to thank her for all she was doing for us. She said it was an honor to be able to help us. Then she smiled and said, Catherine helped make this happen. Be sure to put money into a trust for her future education. I informed Miss Ella I'd already started. Vanessa and I had discussed a trust fund and saving for Catherine's education the day Vanessa died. It was the it was time for Catherine's birthday party. I, I'd only given invitations to her classmates and a few others. Most of the other guests were going to be family and friends, so a phone call worked just fine to invite them. The way my family worked, all I had to do was call one person and everyone would know. Catherine had cousins about her age. Most were older, but they still played together when she was with them. I had decided I wasn't going to invite my in-laws, but Sharon told me I shouldn't hold a grudge. I didn't think I had a grudge and explained I just didn't want any mess or destructive criticism from them. They could always find something wrong with the way I was raising Catherine, and I knew they blamed me for Vanessa's death. But I did call, as Sharon suggested, hoping they wouldn't answer the phone. They didn't answer, and I said, thank God. I really hadn't wanted to talk to them. It was always so stressful. Besides, it had been about four years since I'd last seen them. I left a message, and I thought it would be a while before I heard from them. But a few minutes later, the phone rang. It was my sister-in-law, Farah. I told her when and where the party was. She didn't say much, but she asked if she could speak to Catherine. I hesitated for a moment, but I let Catherine speak to her. After she spoke with Catherine, Farrah told me she told Catherine that she was coming to pick her up and take her shopping for her birthday. At first, I wanted to tell her no, but instead I informed her, don't tell her things like that and not show up. I don't like it when her feelings are hurt, especially because of broken promises. She suffers enough just by not having a mother. When are you coming to take her? Farrah said she would let me know. I told her I needed to have some sort of time frame so I could have her ready. I explained that Catherine and I were on a schedule and I and that I liked to stick to it. I had a bad feeling about them wanting to take her shopping. They hadn't seen her in four years, so why would I believe they had changed? I said, you and your family haven't seen Catherine in four years. She doesn't even know what you look like. My sister-in-law my sister-in-law started to rant and rave about how it was my fault they hadn't seen Catherine. She insinuated I was keeping her away from them. I stated, you all have my contact information, so don't come up with excuses because of how you and your family feel about me. Besides, I don't have time to argue with you. You, call me when you learn how to talk with some manners. Then hung up. I began to braid Catherine's hair just in case my in-laws showed up all of a sudden. They would do things like that sometimes just to piss me off. That's just how they were. After a while, I noticed Catherine was behaving unusually fussy. I didn't know what was wrong, so I asked her. She said that she thought a woman should do her hair. I asked her, why do you think that a woman should be doing your hair? My friends from school have mothers that do their hair. I don't have a mommy, so you can ask Aunt Sharon to do my hair. I laughed at first, but then I realized she had social struggles just like adults, and this was really bothering her. Do you think I'm doing a bad job? I asked. No, she said, but a woman is supposed to do a girl's hair. 
I was a little hurt, but I knew her hair wasn't as nice as the other girls in her class, so I finished and told her I would ask on Sharon next time. I was glad I did her hair because my sister-in-law called shortly after and said she was coming to get her. I was surprised at first, but I thought to myself, just maybe they get it. I told Catherine, your Aunt Farah is coming to get you and take you shopping, so I need you to get in the tub so you'll be ready when they get here. She was really excited. Catherine loved taking baths. She would always play in the water and sing. I didn't know what she was singing, but she was happy, and that's all that mattered. After I got her out of the tub, my sister-in-law called and said she would be at my house in an hour. I let her know Catherine would be ready. After about an hour and a half passed, I started to become a little concerned, so I called Farah to see what had happened. She didn't answer, but she called me back a few minutes later. She said she was waiting for rush hour traffic to end before she left. Okay, please don't stand her up. I informed Catherine you're coming. I don't want her disappointed. She's expecting you, she's excited, and she's waiting for you by the door. More time passed, and Catherine started to ask where Farah was. I called her to find out what was happening, and of course, Farah said she wasn't coming. When I had to tell Catherine, she started crying. I was furious. I asked Farah, why would you tell her you were going to take her shopping and not show up? You could bring her to my house, she replied. I'm tired, and I don't feel like driving that far. You always want us to come and get her. Why do we have to drive so far? You should be bringing her to us. That doesn't make any sense, I said. If you guys really wanted to be in her life, you'd make more of an effort to spend time with her. She's crying because you made her a promise and broke it. I got so mad because of what Farah had done that I started yelling at her. I hope you enjoy talking to her because it'll be a cold day in hell before I let you see her or talk to her again. Then I angrily hung up the phone. I knew I overreacted, but I also knew that if I let them stay in her life, they would stand her up again, and that was the last thing I wanted. I was tired of them and the way they treated Catherine and me. For me, it was easier to just stay away from them. I made up my mind, and I told Catherine if she wanted to know them when she got older, I would let her do that. Until then, it was best this way. Even though I'd made up my mind, in my heart, I knew this wouldn't be the last time I heard from them. What happened that night only drew me closer to Catherine and helped me to understand how powerful disappointment could be. I called Sharon. I partially blamed her because she had insisted that I keep my in-laws informed of what was going on with Catherine. After telling Sharon what happened, I told her I kept my promise and kept them informed of how I'm finished with them. I asked Sharon if she could start doing Catherine's hair. I told her Catherine had asked if she could do it because she thought a woman should do her hair. Sharon said she would do it for the birthday party, but I should look for a hairdresser because she would not be able to do it on a regular basis. I understood that, but I knew finding someone would be another job. I didn't want just anybody doing Catherine's hair. I took Catherine to Sharon so she could do her hair for the party. When we got there, she had a ball. She was so glad to see her aunt. Sharon said after she finished Catherine's hair, she would take her shopping and drop her off later that evening. The day of 
Catherine's party came, and for the first time, I knew I wouldn't hear from my in-laws, which meant it was going to be a great birthday party. Catherine and I went to pick up her cake, and she made it clear she didn't want to cut it until her party started. I found that strange, so I asked her why. She told me she wanted to wait until her friends got there so she could share it with them. I was thinking, that's what you're supposed to do. She also said she wanted to give some to her pony. It was so cute and so funny. She had no clue the pony the pony would be leaving after the party. She thought she was keeping it. I couldn't stop laughing. I, I had to figure out a way to tell her when the pony left. I came up with the idea that we could go see the pony once a month because we couldn't keep him in the house. I could take her horseback riding once a month, so it wasn't a lie. I never wanted to develop a habit of, of lying to her. In my opinion, she'd suffered enough, and now I was certain she and I couldn't depend on Vanessa's family. I, I didn't want to make anything worse for her. When her guests started to arrive, Catherine was very social and just seemed to naturally know how to greet people. I wasn't too surprised. Vanessa was naturally friendly, and she'd been the head of the hospitality committee at her church. Catherine was a natural. Even though she was a little young, she seemed to know what she was doing. At six years old, she was really mature. Sometimes when I saw Catherine doing things like that, it made me want to cry. It was a joy to see, but there was a sorrow as well. I just wanted Vanessa to be able to see her. People told me that Vanessa was watching her and me, but I wanted to see her smile when she saw her daughter acting just like her. Marcia showed up with Kenya, her daughter. Marcia said she'd back, she'd back, she'd be back for Kenya tomorrow. I laughed and then asked, are you serious? She said, yes. I said, okay, I, I just hope that the parents I don't know too well start to think this is drop-off central. You must be crazy, Marcia said. You know the weather is nice, and you know those of us who have younger children are looking for a free sitter. Today, that's you. You just wait and see. These kids will be here for a while, trust me. I've been in that situation before. That's why I started having Kenya's parties at places like Chuck E. Cheese. I had thought about doing that, but I wasn't too fond of those public places for kids. Besides, I had seen a news program that showed how dirty those places were and how often they were clean, which wasn't too often. If Marcia's right, though, I thought, I'll consider it for next year. Just like Marcia said, more and more people showed up and left their children at the house. I was worried because I didn't want anything to happen to someone's child. Children that age get into a lot of mischief, and that means trouble. I was so busy trying to watch them, I, I didn't have time to worry. I didn't have time to worry about if, if and when they were going to get picked up. Fortunately, I, I had help from a number of parents. It was funny. It seemed like some of the mothers were trying to get to know me and were not so concerned about their children. A few who I hadn't met were very helpful. I didn't mind because I needed the help. A couple of the women left their phone numbers on my table and told me to call them sometime. The party was going well. Catherine was happy and I hadn't heard from my in-laws. I was having just as much fun as the children. Kevin and I were having a great time because we had decided to accept Washington Bank Corporation's offer to fund the Fitzgerald Group. We knew we were taking on a big loan, but in a business, you take risks. Besides, the housing market was so hot, how could we lose? One lady was really nice, and I kind of liked her. She had a daughter in the first grade. Her daughter was a year older than Catherine, but they were friends. I started to think, 
Maybe I'll ask her out. We seem to click really well. What the heck? I'll, I'll ask her out. Just about the time I decided to ask her out, she said, I need to call my husband. Her husband, just when I thought I'd met someone I could relate to, she has a husband. That just let the air, that just let the air out of my balloon. Oh, well, I thought, I guess God wanted me to know. It's cool. The last thing I needed is to be tied up with someone else's wife. I'd already had a few issues in the past with men who thought I was trying to take their women. They would say things like I was making them look bad and I needed to stop being Mr. Mom. Some men even said things like I was ruining their marriage or relationship. I explained to most of them I was only doing what I had to do for my child. I let them know you don't know what you'll do until you're placed in a difficult situation. There's nothing wrong with men raising their children without their mother or wife. Some of them understood when I mentioned my wife had died, but the jealous men thought I was using that to take their women. And jealous people never accept anybody's answer but theirs. It was starting to get late, and I was getting tired. The party was winding down, and people were starting to pick up their children. At that time, Farah called just what I needed to ruin a great evening. I answered. She asked, can I talk to Catherine? You know I'm not going to let you do that. You've already broken a promise to her last week. Besides, she's busy with her friends, and I'm not going to stop her. I told her, call me later, and I quickly hung up. She called back and said, you don't need to be nasty. I shouted, oh, you haven't seen nasty from me yet. That's when the argument started. I got very upset and began to holler. I asked her, why do you insist on blaming me for your family not seeing Catherine? Angrily, I implied, you know where I live. You can stop by any time. Just let me know you're coming. I really don't have time for you and your mess. I said, I'll call you some other time. I hung up again. By then, most of the children and parents had left. I did need to call a few parents to tell them to come get their children, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Just about everybody showed up by nine that evening, and I understood the parents who were late. As a parent of a young child, it's hard to get time to do personal things, spend time with your spouse, or just have a free moment of peace. All in all, it, it was a wonderful success, and Catherine wasn't even worried about her pony when it came time to tell it goodbye. She was so tired, and she'd had so much fun that she and Marsha's daughter fell asleep in their clothes. After the party, I did think about what Marsha said. I decided it was time to start having Catherine's parties at a kid's place or have some type of pizza party, something far more simple with all the stress and the mess the children made at my house. I knew that the time had come to end the extravagant parties. Chapter 8 Kevin notified Washington Bank Corporation we were going to accept their loan offer. He had them draw up a contract and set a settlement date. We were very excited. Everything was going far better than we had expected. We had customers already to purchase the Nottingham Road homes. Kevin and I began to structure the contracts for sale. We needed these as one of the conditions in order to close on the revolving line of credit. One of the other conditions was to have building permits, but they waived that requirement. Getting new construction building permits is very time-consuming. It's a very time-consuming process. We had already submitted plans and site drawings, and we were waiting on county approval for the permits. The settlement date had been set, and we were ready. 
We had contracts signed and good faith deposits in hand. We had our escrow account set up with Washington Bank Corporation. It was a good idea. This way, the money was always in the bank's hand. We went to settlement and signed the necessary paperwork. While we were there, they explained we could have our customers approved through them using construction to permanent loans. If we used these loans, it would free up our line of credit and keep our cash flow going. It, it was perfect. After settlement, we received a call from the county permit office notifying us that there was a small problem, and if we could get that fixed, we would have the building permits within a week. We went directly to the county permits offices to find out just what that problem was. The problem was small. It, it required Kevin and my signatures on several other documents, and we needed to leave a $10,000 bond for the new street construction permit. We took care of those few details, and we were told to call back the next week. Of course, Kevin and I were extremely happy, but it was bittersweet for me because Vanessa wasn't there to celebrate with us. Kevin knew what was bothering me, but he said, look, be happy you've got Catherine and your health. And now we have a $500,000 line of credit. After we left the county offices, I went to pick up Catherine from school. I needed to get home to cook and start getting some paperwork in order to get ready for the final inspection on Mrs. Ella's father's house. When I got home, there were calls on my answering machine from my sister-in-law saying her mother wanted to see Catherine. I was a bit disturbed. I thought they were using their mother as a way to make me feel bad. My mother-in-law had been sick. I knew this from some of Vanessa's friends. I said to myself, how low are they willing to go in order to get their way? Against my better judgment, I called my mother-in-law and asked if she wanted to see Catherine. She said, yes, Farah and Stacy told me you won't let them see Catherine. They aren't being honest with you, Mrs. Jackson, I explained. They can come and pick her up anytime they want, but they said it's my responsibility to bring her to them. I feel like if they were serious about being in her life, they would come and get her. Mrs. Jackson said they told me something different. I wasn't surprised. I suggested to her, Mother's Day is next week. I could bring her over then and leave her with you for the day. Would that be okay with you? Yes, she said. Thank you so much. I just want to see my granddaughter. The week went by fast and a lot faster than I wanted because I knew I had to deal with my in-laws that coming Sunday morning. I just knew there was going to be an argument about something. My nerves were wrecked all week. I started to call a couple of times to cancel, but I didn't want to hear more lies about how evil I was, and I didn't want to have to deal with any other stories they would make up about me. Sunday came. I, I was sick physically and mentally. I felt like I wanted to regurgitate. All I could think about was, what if something happens to Catherine? She doesn't know them. What if they don't bring her back? What will I do? I hadn't seen them in a few years, and there had never been any trust between us. I called my sister and asked her, what should I do? She said, I had to take Catherine to see them. If you don't, you'll be just like them. The last That was the last thing I wanted, so I listened to Sharon, and about 11 o'clock Sunday morning, I took Catherine to my mother-in-law's house. When we got there, my sister-in-laws weren't there. One of my brothers-in-laws answered the door. He and I had hadn't he and I didn't have any issues with each other he invited Catherine and me in he was glad to see Catherine and he picked her up and she started crying she was scared she said she didn't want to stay I asked her why because I don't know them she said and this house is dark 
When my brother-in-law heard that, he turned on all the lights. Just about that time, my sister-in-law showed up. I explained to her why Catherine didn't want to stay. I said to her, you'll need to figure out how to distract her or I'll need to take her back home with me. She asked Catherine, do you want to go to the store and get some ice cream? Of course, Catherine said, yes. After you go to the store, I'm going to leave. Don't forget, Catherine's a picky eater. And if she wants to talk to me or if she starts to cry too much, call me and I'll come and get her. This is the first time she's been around you and your family, so be patient with her. She put Catherine in her car, drove off, and I left. About 30 minutes later, Catherine called and she wanted me to come and get her. After talking with her, she said she didn't like them and she wanted to come home. She said she was scared. I laughed internally and said to myself, I'm scared as well. I was thinking, what have I done to my child? She's with her family, but they're total strangers. She knows nothing about them. I could only imagine how afraid she was and what she was thinking and feeling. I I wanted to go and and pick her up. I asked my sister-in-law where they were going for brunch and what time they would be back. Without any questions, she told me where they would be and about what time they would be back. After talking to Farah, I felt a little more comfortable leaving her with them. Besides, I would be at my sister's house, and that wasn't far from where they were eating. When I got to my sister, she told me to relax. She could see I was worried and nervous. You know how I feel about them, I said, and you know how much trouble they caused about how much trouble they caused and about their threats to take Catherine. Sharon said she understood, but I had to try to enjoy myself. I told her Catherine had called me three times in the last two hours to say come and get her and that she doesn't like them. Sharon laughed and said, can you blame her? No, I can't. You know they don't care for me and I don't care for them either. After I ate dinner, Catherine called again and said she wanted to come home. Let me speak to your Aunt Stacy or Farah. I asked. There was a pause and then she handed the phone to Stacy. I informed her it would be best if I came and got Catherine. I asked, where are you? Stacy said, I'll meet you. I asked her where. She told me and I let her know I was on my way and would be there in about 30 minutes. I'm sure she only decided to meet me because she didn't want me to see her brothers and sisters. She knew that there was still strong animosity among us and we could easily start to argue. After meeting Stacy, we talked for a few minutes about how Catherine behaved and she wanted to make arrangements to see her again. I suggested she come by the house and spend time there with her. That way she'll get comfortable with you. She said she would try to make time to do that. I let her know if she didn't, then I would be reluctant to send Catherine with her again. I explained that I don't force Catherine to do anything or go anywhere she doesn't feel comfortable. She already has issues with wanting a mother, so I try my best not to disappoint her or make her or, or make her do things that she doesn't like. I was surprised by Stacy's response. She said she understood, and she'd not been involved as much as she wanted to be. Then she said she knew she could do better call me and we'd see we'll see how things work out you could start coming by to Catherine's kindergarten graduation in June I'll send you an invitation it all sounded good but I didn't trust her because I knew how many times in the past she and the rest of the family had stood Catherine up or hadn't followed through on promises they'd made After Mother's Day was over, it was time for the settlement with Washington Bank Corporation. Also, Mrs. Ellis' project was scheduled for final inspection. 
It was just what I needed, good news to get over the nightmare of Mother's Day. I'd been stressed the entire weekend, not able to think straight or sleep, worrying about what might or what might not happen with my in-laws. Thank God all went well, with the exception of Catherine calling me every 30 minutes or so. Our settlement was scheduled for 10 o'clock. Kevin and I had agreed to meet at the bank at 9.30. I had one of our subcontractors meet with the building inspector at Mrs. Ella's. When we got to the bank, they had our settlement documents ready to sign. It didn't take long to go through the process. After we signed the documents, we were handed a check for a little over $21,000. We weren't expecting that. They say, never look a gift horse in the mouth. But I had to ask, what's this for? Mr. Hope said, you do need to pay for permits. I said, you're right, we do. We just paid for the permits, but we weren't expecting a reimbursement. After we finished the settlement, Kevin got a call from the building permit office telling him the permits were ready to pick up. Everything was falling into place just like we'd hoped it would. Kevin went to the permit office and I went to the bank to deposit the check. After that, I went to Mrs. Ellis to see if the inspector had come. Just as I got there, the inspector was pulling up to the house. I was hoping the inspection would go smoothly, but it didn't. The inspector found a few violations and told me he would come back tomorrow. I informed him I would have everything fixed by then. The next morning, the inspector returned and and approved the final inspection. Mrs. Ella and I did our final walkthrough, and she paid the final payment. Mrs. Ella and I decided to stay in touch. We had developed a great business and personal relationship, and she asked me to bring Catherine by from time to time. Later that week, we broke ground on the first home on Nottingham Road. It was perfect timing because Catherine's kindergarten graduation was in two weeks. I was very proud that our business was flowing smoothly and that Catherine was going to the first grade. Catherine's graduation was so beautiful. I started to tear up. I I couldn't help myself. I was happy, but sad. Vanessa wasn't there. I was also disappointed my in-laws hadn't come, but I hadn't really expected them to be there. A few of the other parents who didn't know Vanessa had died asked why I was crying. When I explained how happy I was, that things were going so well, but I was having a hard time because Catherine's mother died when she was an infant, their eyes watered up as well. One of the parents asked, how do you do it? I said, do what? She said, raise this wonderful little girl by yourself. I really don't know, I told her. God gives me strength every day. I I pray and just keep moving. One of the mothers said to me, she's the little girl that does everybody's classwork. I laughed and said, yeah, she is. The lady said, she should be in the first or second grade. She's really smart. I thanked her and she asked, what do you do with her to have her reading and writing on such an advanced level? I said, I just started teaching her the numbers and the alphabet when her mother died and before long she was reading. After graduation, Catherine and I went and got pizza. She was so proud of herself and so very happy. She didn't want to take off her cap and gown and she wore it to the restaurant. When the waitress came to the table, she asked Catherine if she just graduated. Catherine said yes and started talking to her. The waitress made a big deal about her going into the first grade and Catherine just loved it. Ever since she learned to talk, she would talk to anybody who would listen. It was really cute listening to Catherine chat with the waitress. I couldn't shake the bittersweet feeling I had over her graduation, though. I wished Vanessa could see our child.
after we finished our pizza, we went to Kevin's. He and I talked about how good things were getting, and we agreed that we'd make that we'd made the right move. We would be breaking ground on Nottingham Road next week, and we had legitimate contracts with each buyer's $20,000 deposit. Things were as good as we could hope. Later that week, I took a day off to get ready for the Nottingham Road project. When Catherine and I sat on the kitchen table to have lunch, I realized I hadn't read her report card or the other paperwork from her graduation. I was telling Catherine how proud I was of her and how much I loved her. I began reading the paperwork about her behavior and how bright she was. I told Catherine she was going to the first grade. She said she thought she'd already been in first grade. I laughed because I'd forgotten that the school had set her with the first graders. I informed her that was only because she was answering all the questions the teacher was asking. That's when I noticed her report card read, promoted to second grade. What? I thought it was a typo and someone had made a mistake, but to make sure... I called the school. It went to voicemail, so I left a message that said, I just read Catherine's report card and noticed that someone made a mistake and wrote that she is promoted to the second grade. Please call me back so this can be corrected. Thank you. About an hour later, the phone rang. It was the director, Mrs. Jacobs. She said she'd received the message and it wasn't a mistake. I asked her why and how. Mrs. Jacobs explained that Catherine was well more advanced than the children who were going into second grade, and she had passed all the first grade work. In fact, we tested her, and she's bright enough to start third grade. Mrs. Jacobs suggested we see how well she does in the first couple of weeks of the next school year, and then make a decision on whether or not to put her in third grade. I responded, wait, wait a minute. I I don't think she should be in the third grade, let alone the, the, the second. She's too young. I don't want her to be ahead of her peer group. Mrs. Jacobs said she understood, but she thought it would be a disservice to Catherine. She said Catherine would become bored and disruptive again. She then reminded me of when I first brought her there and how she interrupted the teacher and answered all of the questions. I remembered and she said, you agreed to put her in the first grade then. I said, I I must have misunderstood. I thought she would just be challenging her. She replied, no, you were in a hurry and had a meeting and you said we would discuss it later. I wouldn't put her back in the first grade. She she knows what she's doing. I agreed and said, "Just, just don't put her in the third grade next fall. She laughed and said, Catherine can handle third grade better than the children I just promoted, but I understand your concerns. As a single father, you've done a wonderful job with her. I I think you've done a better job than a lot of single mothers I know. I don't know of any men who can or who are doing what you're doing. I now had even more to be proud of. My child had skipped a grade and was going into the second grade. When I told Catherine the news that her mother would be so proud of her, I started crying. Catherine said, don't cry, Daddy. I'll give you a hug. I don't want you to be sad. I told Catherine I wasn't sad, that I was very happy, and I reminded her that sometimes people cry when they're happy. I think one of the hardest things I had to do was to try to explain complicated complicated emotions like that to my six-year-old. 
Construction had begun on Nottingham Road and was going well. We had a 90-day schedule set for delivery of the first two houses. We had already finished two other custom houses, and we were becoming a popular small custom home builder. Kevin and I started to meet several several county council members who were talking about having us take on several public housing projects. The inspector had gotten to know us, and we were passing inspections without any major issues. Several weeks into the Nottingham Road project, several banking problems occurred on Wall Street. Some of the big mortgage companies were buying and selling toxic mortgages. The country was in the middle of two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and there was a heated presidential election between Barack Obama and John McCain. In spite of the turmoil in the world and in the banking industry, the Fitzgerald Group seemed immune to financial problems. We continued to get our bank draws, and we were getting more contracts. School was starting soon, and Catherine was excited about returning. We went shopping for supplies, shoes, and new uniforms. Catherine was growing fast, so just about every other month, I was buying her new clothes. Her birthday was also approaching, and I decided to have her birthday party at her school. The teachers and other parents liked that because it was inexpensive, there was no cleanup, and it gave the children something to do during recess. Almost overnight, the banking market got much worse. Several of our friends lost their construct lost their construction businesses, and many of our friends with small mortgage lending services lost their certifications to make, sell, and buy mortgage loans. It was getting really bad, really fast. In mid-August, we finished the first home on Nottingham Road, and we were ready for settlement. It was a good day, and we were very excited. The Fitzgerald Group was expecting about $422,000. We thought we had finally arrived. We would be out of debt, and everything from here on would be profit. Neither Kevin nor I had ever been debt-free. Settlement day had come, and we had it set for 10 o'clock a.m. Kevin preferred our settlements to be held in the early hours of the day. That way, in the event there were any paperwork errors or other issues that needed to be corrected, we would have time to do it before the close of business. We thought everything would go smoothly that day, but we were wrong, very wrong. While Kevin was at settlement, I was at the house on Nottingham Road checking and rechecking everything to make sure everything was working. We wanted everything to go right. This was a very big project and a very big day for us. Today would truly solidify the Fitzgerald Group as a major custom home builder. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't heard from Kevin, so I decided to call him. He told me they were waiting on the wire transfer from the bank. He said, They had signed all the documents and were just waiting. Okay, let me know when that happens, I said. He said, you'll be the first to know. I hung up, left the site, and went to lunch. While I was at lunch, I called the school to see how Catherine was doing. It was her first week in the second grade. Mrs. Jacobs answered and said, What do you want? I laughed and said, You know what I want. How's my child doing? Mrs. Jacobs laughed and said, I'm not going to tell you. You're coming to pick her up in a couple of hours, so why are you calling me? I was bored, waiting on my brother. He he was at a settlement and he was taking too long. She said, Didn't you hear about what happened on Wall Street this morning? I said, No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. 
She told me to find the TV and turn to CNN. I said, just tell me what happened. She said, it's not good. You need to see for yourself. I tried to call Kevin, but he didn't answer. I went home and turned on the TV and was floored by what I heard. Lehman Brothers had just filed for bankruptcy. Merrill Lynch, AIG, Freddie Mac, and Fannie Mae were all on the edge of filing for bankruptcy. These were mortgage giants. They controlled the secondary mortgage market. The secondary mortgage market is where loans are bought and sold for the servicing rights. Or In short, these banks controlled billions of dollars in mortgage money. Most residential mortgages were serviced by one of these banks. It was about 4.30 p.m. and I still hadn't heard from Kevin. I started to have a bad feeling because he'd been at the settlement since 10 o'clock that morning. I tried to call but got no answer and the phone number to the settlement office was busy. It had gotten late so I left the house to go pick Catherine up from school. I just knew something was wrong. And as I was walking out the door, the phone rang. It was Kevin. He told me the settlement had been postponed. I told him Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy and several others suspected suspended their lending operations. It was postponed, or is it just not going to happen? Kevin said, we'll need to wait and see what happens on Monday. I was late picking up Catherine, but Mrs. Jacobs understood. She, like many of the other parents, were stunned. The stock market lost over 770 points in less than a week. It wiped out billions of dollars in 401ks and retirement fund savings and real estate values. Later that evening, Kevin and I had a meeting to determine what our next move would be if the settlement didn't happen. It was a tense meeting. Catherine was sad and she asked Kevin and me what she could do to help. I kind of laughed, but this was very serious. In my mind, I knew the settlement wasn't going to happen. I knew that if the settlement didn't happen, it would leave us broke and we would eventually end up filing bankruptcy. Monday morning came after I dropped Catherine off at school. I went by the settlement offices to get an update on the status of our settlement. Kate, the settlement attorney, said she had no information at that time and would give us a call as soon as she knew something. I asked her, what happened? She said all she knew was that several large and small banks had their DE taken from them. A bank's DE is debt equity ratio of a bank's assets. It's used to determine the financial risk of a bank. I asked Beth if Washington Bank Corporation was safe. She laughed and said, no one is safe. She gave me a list of small mortgage lenders whose DEs had been suspended. I told Beth, this happened fast. She said, yeah, this has been in the works for several weeks. So that meant they knew this was coming, but just didn't tell anybody until it was too late. Kate and Beth said, expect it to get much worse before it gets better. I called Kevin and explained to him what Kate said. He got very annoyed and began to argue with me. I tried to get him to calm down, but it didn't work. I then began to argue back, and from there things just fell apart. We ended up not speaking for a few days. I became very depressed and blamed myself. I felt like I'd convinced him to invest everything we had into a business that was now surely headed for disaster. In the days and weeks to come, think in the days and weeks to come, things got much worse. About two weeks later, all mortgage loans were stopped and most construction sites came to a standstill. One afternoon, when I went to pick Catherine up from school, the director called me into her office. 
She reminded me it had been six weeks since I'd made a payment and I needed to make one in the next two weeks, or I had to find Catherine another school. Okay, I replied. I'm not sure where I'll, where I'll get the money, but, but I'll get it. Mrs. Jacobs said, if it's any comfort, there are ten families with the same problem. Thanks, but that's no comfort, I replied. Mrs. Jacobs reminded me that without our payment, she would lose her business as well. Money became really short, and things just continued to get worse. The bank called Kevin and me in for a meeting. They served us a recall notice on that line of credit they had extended us. We hadn't been able to make payments on that either. Because the settlement never happened, the bank repossessed the finished and the unfinished houses and lots. I would drive by Nottingham Road sometimes, hoping and wishing things would change. It was difficult for me. I I couldn't handle it. It made me feel like I was a complete failure, and I wondered how Catherine and I would survive. Kevin being angry with me wasn't helping. He and his wife had started to have problems in their marriage, all because of me. He was devastated, and that made me feel terrible. Now, all of a sudden, we didn't have a clue what we were going to do about our personal bills or our subcontractors that we owed payments. Mr. Hope told us that if that house didn't go to settlement in the next 30 days, they would be forced to start for foreclosure proceedings. I told Mr. Hope, everyone is having problems, so why is your bank being so aggressive with us? He said, it's not just you, but everybody who has any kind of mortgage loan. Things got bad quickly within two weeks, and the bank started foreclosure proceedings on the Fitzgerald Group. I also received letters from my mortgage company. They were threatening to foreclose. I was forced to remove Catherine from the King's Academy, and I had to figure out where to send her to school. At that point, I was extremely uncomfortable with the thought of putting Catherine in a public school system. Most public schools in our area were very rough and really didn't teach children anything. I I didn't know what to do. I could see my, my sorrow was starting to directly affect Catherine. She was down and seemed to lose the joyful energy she always had. During that time, I discovered children pick up on things, whether they're good or bad. They know when their parents are in pain. I'd never seen Catherine sad like this before. I thought she was much too young to go through these emotional changes. I knew I had to do something about it, so I made the decision to put her in the neighborhood school and hope she would get back to her happy-go-lucky self. This wasn't my first choice, but it seemed like my only choice. Catherine's school situation wasn't my only problem. Kevin and I weren't speaking unless we had to, and my other siblings siblings blamed me for what happened. It seemed as if everyone I knew was turning against me. I kind of understood, after all, it was my idea to tie our houses to obtain the loans for the Fitzgerald Group. I became even more depressed, so I called my Uncle Philip, who lived in Chicago. I needed someone to talk to. He and I had a lot in common. His wife had died about four years earlier, and he had had owned a number of businesses. Besides, talking to anybody at that point was a good thing for me. He understood exactly how I was feeling. No one else seemed to to want to be bothered with me. If it was Catherine and I had... It was as if Catherine and I had been excommunicated from the rest of the family. Uncle Philip tried to comfort me as best he could, but I was just too depressed. He then suggested, I come to Chicago. Finally, someone made me laugh. What a joke, I said. In my mind, there was no way Catherine and I were moving to Chicago. We continued to talk for a while, but it was getting late, so I told him I would talk to him later. 
Uncle Philip said this door was always open and sometimes relocating is just what we need. I'll think about it, I said. Chapter 9 About a week after I talked with Uncle Philip, I had gotten the information on the neighborhood school. He called again and told me Catherine needed to be in school so she could continue progress. This was very a very difficult decision for me. She had always been in a private school. However, on the following Monday, I told Catherine we were going to the neighborhood school to register her. The first thing she said was, Why do I have to change schools? I tried to explain. Uncle Kevin and I had lost the business, and I wasn't going to be able to pay her tuition anymore. She responded, But why? I was frustrated because I didn't know what to say. She started crying and saying, I won't see my friends anymore. That made me cry. Immediately, I began to question God as I had before about what he was doing in our life. When Vanessa died, I wondered if God was punishing me. Now he seemed to be punishing me again. I found myself trying to figure out what sin I had committed to make God so angry with me. When Catherine and I got to the school, I was told because of her age, they would have to put her back in first grade. Of course, that was something I hadn't wanted to hear. I explained that Catherine had just finished first grade at the King's Academy Christian School. The office clerk said there was nothing she could do. I asked to speak to the principal. She said I would need to make an appointment. Angrily, I told her to make the appointment. About that time, the principal walked in, and the and the clerk introduced us and began to explain what was going on. He looked at me and said the law was the law. There was nothing he could do. Okay, I said, put her in first grade, and tomorrow you'll hear from my attorney. Just what I needed, more stress and headaches. They had no le- no legitimate reason, reason why my child couldn't be in the second grade. I called my attorney and left a message about what was happening. The next day, I took Catherine to her new school. Then I called the, count- the county department of education, and they said she needed to be at least seven years old to be in the second grade. Even though Catherine would be seven in less than two months, they still said no, it couldn't be done. The day went by really fast, and before I knew it, it was time to pick Catherine up from the school system from hell. When I got there, I talked to a few parents outside and asked them about the school and what they thought about it. No one had anything negative to say. In fact, everyone had high praise. The school was in somewhat of an affluent neighborhood, so I kind of expected it to be a good school, but I had personal issues with public schools. I knew most public school systems had inadequate funding, poor academic curriculums, and uncertified teachers. I didn't want Catherine falling behind, especially since she had just skipped a grade. After I got in the building, the office clerk told me the principal wanted me to come to a meeting the next morning at 8 o'clock. I told her I would be there. After school, I got Catherine, and she had already bounced back to her usual self. She was happy and talking about her new friends. I felt happy because she wasn't sad anymore. The next morning, when I got to the school for the meeting, there were several people in the principal's office. He introduced me to his assistant principal and his chief education officer, I asked, why do I need to talk to them? The principal told me, I want you to understand the rule about Catherine's age. There's no way she can go to first grade. They have to, that they're here to help you understand. About that time, my cell phone rang. It was Mr. Goldstein, my lawyer. I told him I wanted to file a lawsuit against the county and PS14 elementary school. I explained the entire situation and the concerns I had with the principal, his assistant principal, and his chief educational officer listening to me. 
Mr. Goldstein asked me if I would come by his office. I asked what time he wanted me there, and he said one o'clock. I hung up the phone, and I indicated to the principal, I have an appointment, and I have to leave. When I got to Mr. Goldstein's office, he said I didn't need to worry. He would file an official complaint, not a lawsuit. I signed the retainer agreement and went home. It was kind of funny. I hadn't wanted her promoted to the second grade when she was at the King's Academy, but now that she was already in second grade, I wanted her to stay there. When I got home, I opened the mail and got more depressing news. It was a notice of intent to foreclose. I saw my answering machine light blinking. I I didn't want to check the messages. I, I figured it was bill collectors and more bad news, but I decided to listen to the messages. Like I thought, most of the messages were about bills and money I owed to some subcontractors and others. However, the last message was from the principal at Catherine's new school. He said they had found a law that would allow Catherine to be placed in the second grade. He just needed me to get some information from the King's Academy. I laughed. As soon as they knew I was serious about the lawsuit, they found this law that would allow Catherine into the second grade. With some people, the only language they understand is lawyer. I think if I hadn't said anything to them or threatened the, threatened the lawsuit, they would have kept Catherine in the first grade. I believe they didn't like that I was a single father raising Catherine by myself. My guess is if I had been a woman, there would never have been a problem. The world has led most people to believe men don't know how to raise or take care of their children. You see TV commercials that make men look like imbeciles, like we can't do anything to care for our children. These commercials show men struggling with simple stuff like changing diapers or feeding a child. I guess some men can't do those things, but I could, and I know many other men who can. I don't think it's that hard. Things continued to get worse. The lack of money was starting to take its toll. I hadn't ever been in a place like this. I I had to figure something out fast. My entire dream was fading. I was beginning to lose hope, and the last thing I wanted was to be evicted from my house. What would I tell my daughter? How would this affect her? I also knew that an an eviction would only give my in-laws more ammunition to try to take Catherine. Sometimes God puts us in these low places so we will lean on him. I heard all my life to let go and let God, but I also heard faith without works is dead. So I thought, how do I let go and let God when faith without works is dead? I I never really learned nor understood how to do that. I began to pray more than I'd ever prayed in my life. I felt like I was going to fail. I didn't even know what to pray for. I just hoped God was going to do something. I didn't know what, but I was just hoping he would move soon. I started to feel shame, guilt, and failure. The thought of the embarrassment I'd feel if we were evicted weighed heavy on my heart. I knew I couldn't hold on much longer. The only relief I seemed to get was when I helped Catherine with her schoolwork. That always calmed me down and allowed me to be grateful I had her true, unconditional love. After a while, I began to seriously consider moving to Chicago, as Uncle Philip had suggested. One day, when when I picked Catherine up from school, I asked her how she would feel if we moved to Chicago. She said she didn't want to move and asked where Chicago was. Of course, her response didn't help me any. I knew that's what she was going to say, but I knew going to Chicago was a viable option that would allow me to escape the trials and tribulations I was experiencing. Just before Thanksgiving, I called Uncle Philip and told him I was seriously considering moving there, but I had a few concerns like where Catherine would go to school and finding a job. 
He said there were several options for Catherine's education. His first suggestion was an elite private school called the the University Laboratory School. I looked into it and said to him, I couldn't afford that school. It cost almost $30,000 a year. He said we would probably qualify for a scholarship because of her grades and lack of income. We continued to discuss several other issues and concerns we both had, and I told Uncle Philip if we did come, it would probably be after Christmas because of how time-consuming relocating would be. If we were going to do this, I was going to have to pack my belongings and have them stored. I also was going to need to obtain the necessary paperwork to transfer Catherine to a new school. There are so many unanswered questions and a lot of fear." I felt an overwhelming need to make the right choice. I I didn't want to make a decision I would regret. I'd already made enough of those. I'd been talking about relocating for years. I, I was unsure why I wanted to leave, but my spirit had been down ever since Vanessa died. I, I was still deeply bothered by her death, and I was still not totally confident I could raise Catherine, even though I was being told I was doing a great job. People would say, I just needed to keep doing what I had been doing for the last seven years, and everything would be okay. The amount of pressure I was putting on myself was far greater than what I was experiencing from my in-laws or from anyone else. Thanksgiving came and I was depressed and unsure of how my brother and the rest of my family were feeling about me. I didn't know what Catherine and I were going to do for dinner. I hadn't cooked. I hadn't made plans. Usually we would get together with one of my siblings at one of our houses. This year it was different. I was afraid to call and fear my brother and what kind of attitude he would have. Later in the afternoon, my niece Lisa called and asked if I was coming to Uncle Kevin's for dinner. I told her I hadn't planned to and I don't go where I'm not wanted. She said she had talked to him and he wanted me there. I told her if Kevin wanted Catherine and me to come, then he should have invited me himself. He knows my phone number and where I live. Lisa told me not to act that way. She told me everyone was concerned about Catherine and me. She said the family had forgiven me and they understood that sometimes things just happen. If what you're saying is true, then Kevin should have no problem calling me. Lisa said, Uncle Kevin thinks you're mad at him. If he wants me at his house for dinner, then tell him to call me. The truth was, I was making this about me when it truly should have been about Catherine seeing her uncle and the rest of the family. About an hour later, Kevin called and said he'd asked Lisa to call me because he thought I wouldn't talk to him if he called me himself. We discussed what we were feeling and why. After we talked, I told him Catherine and I would be there and that she missed her Uncle Kevin. He asked if he could talk to her. I'll go get her. When I called Catherine to the phone and told her who it was, she got very excited. She took the phone and told him she wanted to see him. Then she asked, what time are we going to Uncle Kevin's? Ask him what time does he want us to come? Catherine replied, Uncle Kevin said four o'clock tell him we'll see him around that time. She hung up the phone and started to dance in the middle of the floor. She was so excited. It was easy to see she had missed her Uncle Kevin. I put Catherine in the tub and got her cleaned up. I was a little nervous about going to Kevin's, but I assumed he wanted to bury the hatchet and move on with our lives and trying to save our business. When I got to Kevin's, everything was okay at first. We talked and had a drink. Then some of my siblings showed up, and before long, they started to talk about how I had really messed up Kevin's credit. Shortly after that, arguments started, and I just wanted to leave. However, I fed Catherine and tried to keep my thoughts to myself. 
I knew things were going to get out of hand, so when Catherine finished eating, I decided to let them know I, I was just going to leave. Just as I started to leave, my brother began yelling at me about why I was leaving, and before long, I started to yell back. Then he threw a beer in my face. I rushed to the kitchen, got Catherine, and left. I didn't want to fight, and the last thing I wanted was for Catherine to see Kevin and me fighting. I'd been unsure about going to his house anyway. Even before we got there, I, I thought something like this might happen. At that moment, I knew I was going to move to Chicago. I was still ambivalent about the move, but I knew we were going to leave. I just didn't know when. I couldn't handle the stress and all the confusion anymore. I, I never wanted Catherine to be raised in an environment of negative behavior. I didn't want her to think it was okay to fight and yell at each other. Our children become a product of their surroundings, and I didn't want her surrounded by discord. After that evening, I began to isolate from my friends and family. I didn't see any end in sight to the madness that was going on. Christmas was approaching, and I was becoming even more depressed because Vanessa's birthday was Christmas Eve. I, I got emotional every year, and I knew it wouldn't be any different this year. I didn't want to be bothered with anyone. Even with all the confusion and emotional pain going on in my life, I still found joy just watching Catherine. For some reason, just having her near me was very comforting. Everything else in my life was so full of turmoil. I had started getting calls from one of my former employees who insisted he never got his last check. I told him I didn't owe him and I had proof. It was very troubling because he started to threaten me and, and threatening to damage my house and personal property. He insisted because it was Christmas. He knew I had money, but I just wouldn't pay him. His hostility became unbearable and I began to worry about Catherine's and my safety. He was the first and only person who had threatened me with physical harm. I didn't know what I was going to do about his behavior. I, I thought it would just pass in time. Christmas came and it ended up being the loneliest Christmas I'd had since Vanessa died. I did get a few calls from some friends and my niece, but that was about it. I thought about calling Kevin, but I decided I, I didn't want to ruin his day and I didn't want to become more upset than I was. I also thought about calling my in-laws, but I knew that wasn't a good idea. All these years later, they still resented me for not giving them Catherine. And since Vanessa's birthday had been the day before, I figured they didn't have any desire to be bothered with me. Later in the day, Marcia called and invited Catherine and me to dinner, but I told her I wasn't in the mood for company and just wanted to spend the day with Catherine alone. Several of our friends stopped by to drop off gifts for Catherine and me. Most of my gifts were liquor, just what I needed, an excuse to drink my troubles away. To my surprise, my brother Kevin called and said he had a gift for Catherine and asked me to come get it. I told him I couldn't that day, but that I'd come and get it sometime that next week. He asked me to forgive him and said he was stressed as well. He informed me he and his wife were fighting also. I told him I understood, but I was in a lot of emotional pain and couldn't function well. As I was explaining how I was feeling to him, my niece Lisa knocked on the door. I told Kevin I would call him back. Lisa was at the door. Lisa, as always, had stopped by because she wanted me to come to the family dinner, but this time I, I just wasn't up to it. She tried to talk me into it, but quickly figured out I wasn't budging. Not this time. Lisa talked with Catherine for a while and gave her gifts and, and then left. 
It started to get late and I really wanted Christmas to just be over. This year had been the most depressing holiday I'd, I'd experienced. I had so many decisions to make and I didn't, and, and I knew I had so many decisions to make and I didn't know what to do. And Christmas was a huge distraction. I knew New Year's Eve the following weekend would be just as de- just as depressing because it was our anniversary. Catherine could tell I was depressed. She always tried to cheer me up and always knew when I was down. For a seven-year-old child, she was better able to understand my moods than most of the adults in my life. On New Year's Eve, I sat home, had a drink, and talked to myself. I had no one I wanted to be bothered with. I just wanted all my troubles to go away, but I felt like they had just started. About a week after New Year's, I heard from my former employee again. He continued threatening me as he had done before Christmas. I thought if I talked with him, maybe he would understand. People advised me that I shouldn't meet with him, but I did it anyway. It was a bad idea. Not long after I met with him, he started getting very agitated, arguing and complaining. I tried to get him to calm down. However, he refused. He tried to break into my house, and I had to call the police to have him removed from my property. After that incident, my mind was completely made up. Catherine and I were moving to Chicago. I refused to put her in any danger. I began to make plans. I called my uncle and told him I had decided to move there. He replied that he was going to start to make arrangements for us. After everything was set, I told my family I was moving. My decision came as a shock to everyone because I never shared with any of them that I was even thinking about relocating. Kevin and I had a very long talk before Catherine and I moved. He told me he thought it was a good idea for me to get away for a while. He understood I needed a change. Sharon didn't agree with me. She thought I should just stay, wait, and everything would work itself out. We had a very long talk before Catherine and I left. I explained that I just needed to get away and tried to start over. She made me promise to let Catherine call her weekly. And that brings us to the end of Chapter 9 of H.K. Fitzgerald's Raising Catherine. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I hope you enjoyed the reading. I welcome your comments in the episode description questions, or you can always write to me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com with all of your questions, comments, or suggestions if you prefer email. Anchor users, my voicemail is always on. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.